Welcome to Multifamily AP 360, the show where we discuss 360-degree views on mindset, passive, and active multifamily investment. If you're looking for tips and strategies, or just want to learn from the experiences of others, both good and bad, then listen on. This is Multifamily AP 360 with your host, Ramakrishna Chunchu. Today's our guest is Clive Davis from Park Royal Capital. Welcome, Clive. How are you doing, Rama? Thanks doing for having great. me on. Yeah, doing great. And thank you very much. Little bit about Clive. After the 20-year corporate career, the Ivy League trained transactional lawyer and compliance executive turned full-time commercial real estate investor in 2017 with a focus on multifamily value-add investment opportunities. Since founding Park Royal Capital in 2017, Clive Davis has personally invested in more than 3,000 multifamily rental units, as well as a portfolio of hotels based in Atlanta, where he has resided since 2005. Most recently, Park Royal Capital acquired two Atlanta multifamily properties, totaling 444 units with a combined value of over 70 million. So with that, Clive, you want to add anything to your background? Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, I, I had a 20-year corporate career, started out as a transactional lawyer, uh, servicing Wall Street investment banks and their clients by extension. Uh, so that's where I got my initial initial professional grooming, if you will. And then I transitioned in-house with Pfizer, who's in the news for, for good reasons these days. Um, so I was an in-house lawyer for Pfizer in New York City, and they actually relocated me to Atlanta to support their Southeast business at the time. Um, and so that was in 2005. Uh, that's what brought me to Atlanta, where I've been for the last 17 years now. Moving on from that role, my final role was a chief compliance officer role, also in the pharma industry, but for a Belgian uh, pharma company headquartered in Brussels with their U.S. headquarters here in Atlanta. So all in all, I had a 20-year corporate career. Throughout the entirety of that time, I was invested in real estate on a on a small scale, small multifamily, uh, with my very first investment being a duplex that I acquired back in 1999. And I held that throughout all of that corporate employment and I actually did not sell that until 2018. And um, part of the story is that uh, as I was aspiring to become a deal sponsor and trying to sustain myself uh, after having left the corporate role and, and the W-2 behind, part of what helped sustain me was the ability to be able to sell that duplex in 2018 and 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 kind of uh, get the benefit of of that stored equity and that enabled me to continue uh, being perseverant even though I was knocking on doors that weren't necessarily opening up right away and so you know the goal was to move from that small multifamily in the five unit that I would have subsequently acquired and start playing uh, in the multifamily space at a much bigger scale. And so that what that's what brought me to uh, the first deal. Uh, and I tell people it's important that I share that I wasn't an overnight success. I didn't just decide I wanted to do large-scale multifamily and then a deal fell in my lap. The very first offer that I made on a 92 unit here in Atlanta was in April of 2019. 
I was a runner-up and and uh, someone beat us out on that. And I thought, okay, we didn't get that first one. We'll get one in a month or so. Um, and fast forward, it, I didn't get my first deal awarded to me until the summer of 2021. And that's the 244 unit that we acquired for just under 30 million. And we raised approximately eight and a quarter million in equity for that deal. The very same week that we closed on that property in 21, uh, late 21, we were awarded another deal, a uh, 200 unit, $40 million acquisition. And we raised approximately 13 million in equity for that. So after having, you know, being persistent, establishing relationships, touring properties, submitting offers, you know, after we got that final breakthrough with that first deal, deal number two literally came right on the heels of that. The, the law of the first deal that you hear uh, different people talk about, that's something that I, I, I literally experienced that firsthand, you know, despite the, the, the two years, including kind of a dormant period due to COVID. Nonetheless, it was a two-year period before I got that breakthrough. Got it. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, before digging deep into those deals, I have another question. Why sure. you waited for 20 years to jump into commercial? <laughs> Why not that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, and, and, and so at the end of 2016, the question that I asked myself was, if not now, when? And the question that I was asking was, you've always had this interest in real estate. You've had a flirtation with being an entrepreneur without truly understanding or experiencing what that is. If you don't explore that now, what are you waiting for? When are you going to explore it? And so if I have any regrets, and I I, I really I'm not a person who deals in regret, uh, the only regret would be not having started sooner. And I think part of it is just the mindset of uh and 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 the reliance upon the comfort zone that is corporate America. So the longer you're in corporate America, the more highly compensated you're going to be, the more senior you're going to be. And it becomes, and that's, I guess, what they call the golden handcuffs. It becomes harder and harder, more difficult for you to wrap your head around the idea of, of not having that, uh, which is part of your comfort zone and stepping out of your comfort zone for something that has no guarantees um, and is purely, you know, uh, eat what you kill uh, environment where there is no guarantee, there is no direct deposit that is hidden every two weeks, and you can go long periods of time, uh, like I mentioned, the two years where you don't have any meaningful income coming in, but you're aspiring to do something and you're waiting for that breakthrough. And so, uh, if I to answer your question, I think it probably comes down to just fear, uh, the fear of the unknown uh, and a mindset and a reliance around, you know, why give up something where it's, you know, fairly certain that, you know, barring something catastrophic, you're going to get paid every two weeks. Um, you're going to get your bonuses, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be taken care of. And so you've just got to break free of that. And it's not easy, but it's necessary if you want to, if you want something different and if you want something more. I also wanted to model something different for my children. Uh, at the time that I left corporate life, my oldest child, oldest of four children, was going to be heading off to college in six months. And so we've always told her and the other kids, you can be anything that you want to be. You know, you should pursue what you're passionate about. 
and you're going to graduate college with zero debt. So you will not be in a position where you have the excuse of saying, well, I'm passionate about this, but I can't pursue that because it doesn't pay me. And so therefore, I'm going to go do something that is more financially lucrative, regardless of whether or not you genuinely are interested in it or passionate about it. And so, you know, when I thought to myself, am I modeling kind of the risk taken uh, that I tell my children that they should do? The answer probably was no, because I was very secure in my comfort zone and I had not taken a leap of faith up until that point. And so... Um, I think all of that played a role in in the decision to uh, give this uh, this road, this path uh, a chance. Got it. So now uh, four years into like your you know commercial space, what, what's your take on your addition? What's my take on the 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 addition? Yeah. Uh, in terms of kind of the commercial world that I'm in now, as as so, I mean, like you know, from happiness or success point of view, or you know. Yeah. So so for me. Uh, the the pursuit of an entrepreneur at least for me it's about freedom so when you decide to hang up your corporate uh apron and and try out this entrepreneurial path it's all about freedom so uh, what i've been able to achieve is to buy back my time and so however well compensated you are as a corporate employee at the end of the day Someone is paying you for your time and your time is theirs and it's not your own. And so when you step into being an entrepreneur, you 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 step out of that 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 structure into one where you control your destiny, you control your time. And so for me, um, you know, that the the value of that, the price, I, I don't know that you can put a price on that um, of gaining your freedom. And so for me, beyond the fact that I, I like what I do, I'm passionate about what I do, um, and I derive pleasure from what I do, freedom is the biggest thing that I've been able to attain. And um, you just can't put a price on that. Yeah, that's a good one. Good line. So time freedom, mainly, you know, and it so you'll get other freedoms like financial freedom and geographical freedom also. Absolutely. Awesome. So let's dig into that, you know, two two properties. Like, so what's your role in those properties? Yeah. So of I have three primary partners. I'm the only partner here in Atlanta. Uh, my other partners are in Texas and California. So my primary role post-closing, post-acquisition is I'm the lead asset manager. I'm the primary point of contact and interface with our third-party property management company. You know, our our, our legal represent, representation, our, our insurance representation, our tax consultant. I'm the primary point of contact for each of those. Um, and like I said, I lead asset management. So uh, I visit the property periodically. I was just at both properties yesterday. Uh, we do our weekly calls. And, and so... I kind of take the lead on that. Obviously, because I'm boots on the ground, I also played an integral role in finding those and, and underwriting those and and being the point of contact. And then, uh, you know, surrounding myself with a very capable team uh, that enabled us to successfully close on those two transactions. Got it, got it. So as an asset manager, what are the key skills required to be successful? 
So first of all, you've got to you've got to have a solid business plan in place, and then you've got to be diligent about connecting the dots. And so once you understand what the the key performance indicators are that indicate good health of of the business, which is the the, the apartment community, then it's a matter of uh, figuring out what things are going to favorably impact those KPIs. What can you do? or do differently that is going to move the needle favorably. And so I think you can never lose sight of the importance of being a people person. Um, at the end of the day, this is a business of, of people from, from your residents uh, to your, your, your management staff on site and to the various parties that you know contribute to the success of the business. So I think being a, a people person is important and um you know, I, I try and spend a good amount of time making those connections and, and sustaining and maintaining those connections. But th- th- those are some of the things that I, I think of in terms of the, the success of being an asset manager. You know, there, there are some core fundamentals that you, you need to do and you need to be able to evaluate estimates and, and review invoices and, and ensure that you're getting the best po- possible deal for the business. But, you know, beyond those things, it's the the intangibles that I think, you know, make a big difference in you being successful. Got it. Yeah. So what are the process you use to find good property management company? Yeah. So for me, I we, we have, at least for the Atlanta properties, we have the same, the one uh, property management company. They're actually headquartered in Atlanta. They manage about 7,000 units in the Southeast. This, they're expanding across the Sun Belt, but I would say overwhelmingly the majority of the units are kind of Georgia-based and then kind of neighboring states. So for me, I met and established a relationship with the founding principal of of the property management company that we have. Uh, probably a little over two years ago, I accompanied someone who was uh, doing a tour of a property. Uh, this property manager was accompanying them. I made a connection there. And then from that point on, I would typically, the way that I worked would be that once I uh, evaluated a property that was for sale, made the decision or determination that it was a property that we would want to offer on, uh, set up the tour with the broker. Usually what I would do is I would reach out to my property management company and say, hey, I'm going to be touring this property with Cushman, just as an example, on next week, Wednesday. It would be great if you could accompany me. And then usually, you know, most of the time that I would make that request, I would say six or seven out of 10, uh, this property management um, principal would actually show up and be there. And oftentimes he would beat me there and he would be talking to the broker and then I would walk in. And part of the benefit of that, and I tell people Um, When you're trying to break into this space and establish credibility with brokers, you've got to associate yourself with people who have credibility within that brokerage community. And so the benefit of having a a known property management company principal show up alongside you for a property tour is that you're probably going to be taken more seriously by the broker because they're going to assume the property management company, especially the principal of the company, is not going to take his time to accompany someone who doesn't have the ability to close on the deal. So already you're starting in a better place because you're borrowing their credibility and 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 transferring that to you. 
And so for, for any newbies who are looking to break in, you know, when you think of your team, you should be thinking about your property management company. You should be thinking about your tax consultant. You should be thinking about your insurance broker. All of these people are part of your team. And to the extent that you can convey that it's it's that it's your full team uh, that you're bringing to bear for the deal in front of you, that's going to help you establish credibility with the broker. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for explaining that, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, hiring property management is one of the key key to success in you know multifamily space. Yeah, and what's your business plan on these pro- these two properties? Yeah, both of them are fairly typical value add plans, renovation of interior units. Um, we've been blessed that we've we've hit and have exceeded pro forma rents literally from day one. So it's really about, you know, to the extent that we have classic units that haven't been touched, we're certainly going to identify those as candidates for renovation um, and bringing them up into modern times. Uh, And then amenities, if there are obvious amenities that are either missing, like a dog park that, that, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, we're going to add that, you know, we've, we've equipped our fitness center, laundry center, both of which were uh, not equipped uh, prior to our takeover on one of the properties. You know, it's, this isn't rocket science. It's, it's basically looking at the business, assessing kind of areas where it's underperforming or things that you could add that are going to improve the performance of the property. And, um, yeah, just uh, force the appreciation on the properties through that value add, that strategic value add uh, investment, and um, you know uh, assess the market uh, for when's the right time, the optimal time to uh, sell the asset on to someone else and have them take it to the next level from there. Got it. So, what was the average rents before purchasing? What was the average rents right now? Yeah, great question. So I'll give you, so for the first property, I can tell you just as an example, we had a three bedroom, two and a half bath, uh, approximately 1500 square feet that was rented for $1,100 when we underwrote it. My underwriting had us increasing the rent to $1,250, making some renovations, improving the rent, uh, the condition of the unit and raising the rents accordingly up to $1,250. On day one, our property management company informed us that they felt that we could get $1,349 for that unit. And so uh, we've been achieving that on renewals and new leases uh, on that particular floor plan. And, and um, you know, so that, that's a good example of kind of the, the rent movement. A lot of that is just what's been going on from an inflationary standpoint in the rental market and year over year rent increase. And, uh, you know, another portion of that is just conservative underwriting, because at the time, obviously, we had access to what the comps uh, were achieving and and we were probably as we're apt to do, probably more conservative than than we could have been. Um, so the combination of those two have have allowed us to to achieve and, and in many instances exceed our pro forma rents. Awesome. So during our offline conversation, you mentioned you invested as a passively, right? So what are the some key takeaways from investing passively? Yeah. So when I first left corporate life in 2017 and 2018, I, I moved my two legacy 401ks into a self-directed IRA. And then I I went about investing in probably nine or 10 uh, commercial real estate deals, primarily multifamily uh, focused deals. 
And I did that not just because of the ROI I, I hope to uh, obtain from those transactions, but also as part of my education, because I was typically investing in the types of deals that I aspired to do and hope to do, you know, maybe a year or two down the line. And so um, when you're investing with institutional quality sponsors like I was, you get to see, you know, what does their capital stack look like? How, uh, what is what do their business plans look like? What does investor relations look like? You know, good and bad. So all of these things that you're seeing from the passive investor side of the table are things that are going to inform the type of sponsor that you're going to be when you ultimately step into those shoes. And so the one thing I would say now is that though many of those investments that I made in, you know, early on in those early years, I wouldn't make today just because, as I think is appropriate, I'm a better uh, and more informed inv investor today than I was you know, four or five years ago. And I also have established relationships, one-to-one -one personal relationships with uh, credible sponsors with whom I've been able to establish a relationship. And so while I'm an active uh, investor, I also continue to invest passively. And so my most recent passive investments, I've invested in two Houston, Texas deals, about 600 units in total. And uh, one of the sponsors is one of my partners on my two Atlanta deals. And the other sponsor is a passive investor on one of my Atlanta deals. And so, so there's a, a, a proximity and, and a relationship. And I truly believe in knowing, liking, and trusting individuals that you're investing with. And so uh, whereas some of those, most of those early investments, I had no relationship with the sponsor. It was more close to being an investment in a stock where you invest in a company you think is going to do well, but you have no relationship with the, the, the CEO or the leadership team or anyone. So now any of the passive investments I'm doing are with individuals with whom I have a, a, a relationship. Awesome. Awesome. Good thing. Away. Thank you. And what's your take on current market situation? How exactly you're approaching? Yeah, so I, I think uh, I'm still bullish on multifamily and commercial real estate. I, I think it's more important today that you invest with sponsors who have a track record and, and not just a track record in multifamily, but a track record of success in whatever it is that they were doing before they got into you know multifamily deal sponsorship. I think it was very easy for mediocre sponsors to do well over the last, you know, four or five plus years. And I think now uh, the skill set of the sponsor or sponsorship team is more critical than it has been or had to be in the last several years, just because the market was lifting all boats uh, were, were rising with the tide. And now I think um, kind of the the balance sheet of your sponsors, the, the skill set of your sponsors, all of that is just uh, of increased importance relative to what it has been in the last several years. From a deal standpoint, I think, um, you know, transactions that uh, reduce risk, uh, a good example are assumable loans. Um, so if you can find deals where there's an opportunity to step into the shoes of the, the seller uh, and become the borrower on fixed rate debt, especially the longer the term, the better. Um, I think 
that almost uh, makes moot the point of what's going on in the interest rate environment. Because if you step into a fixed rate loan with you know a, a long tail, um, it doesn't really matter what interest rates do in the next six months, two years, three years. If you, you know you take that, you de-risk the deal, and you take that macroeconomic uncertainty off the table. And so I think uh, whereas loan assumptions had been out of favor, they're very much now in favor. And whereas bridge loans had been very much in favor, now they are out of favor and difficult to to uh, obtain. And so I think you can de-risk your deals to some extent. You can also reduce the amount of leverage, um, which is going to de-risk the deal and give you more margin for error and and dealing with the uncertainty of what's happening with interest rates. But I think if you can find good deals now, I would not shy away from pursuing those opportunities because already we're already on the clock for when interest rates are likely to start uh, reversing course and coming down. So if you have a business plan that is two to three year hold minimum, chances are by the time you're considering assessing the market for exit, uh, it's going to be a more favorable interest rate uh, environment. Um, so again, I, I just think given the supply and demand dynamics of, of housing in the United States, I think multifamily housing is a place that I will continue to invest in uh, just because the, the favorable supply and demand dynamics are not going to change against us uh, anytime soon. Uh, they're, they're, those are long term, you know, decade plus long trends that will take a long time to turn around and uh, move in a different direction. Got it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Good luck with that. So. Uh, let's jump into personal side. Yeah. Any of your personal habits that are helping you to be successful? Yeah, I, I'm trying to be more consistent with it. Begrudgingly call myself a runner now because for many years, even though I was running since moving to Atlanta, I never quite considered myself a runner um, because I don't, I'm not the type to kind of roll out of bed and step into my gym shoes and hit the road running. Um, I always have to drag myself there. I, or at least I feel like I'm dragging myself there. But running is something that I do that helps uh, kind of settle the mind, re-energize the body. Um, so typically what I will do is I will sign up for races around, you know, within the radius of my home. And I'll try and do a 5K, a 10K once a year, I do a half marathon um, that my wife and I run. So that helps uh, just from a you know mindset, physical well-being, mental well-being standpoint. And uh, although I'm not consistent with it, I, I try and do some kind of breathing and meditation in the mornings before I jump on the iPhone. And and uh, I, I'm not I'm, I'm still trying to improve on that. Um, and resist the temptation to start the day with the iPhone and, and you know scrolling through and and what have you. But uh, those are some of the things I do. Um, you know, I do calisthenics, push-ups, and sit-ups and things of that nature just to start the day, uh, and that works for me. Awesome. Share me in one personal decision that you took that impacted positively. Uh, the, the the obvious one is what I talked about earlier, which was after twenty years saying twenty years was enough and that I was going to take this leap of faith. And so that, that decision has put me and my family on a different trajectory than we would have been had I stayed inside my comfort zone and just continued being a corporate employee. So that, that's, the, that's a big one. 
And that's probably the most obvious one that I would point to. Good. So any books that impacted your life? Several. Um, so I know why The uh, Caged Bird Sings by Maya Angelou is probably the first book that I read cover to cover and and, and really resonated with me. Uh, so that would be one. Uh, Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe, a, a, a now deceased Nigerian uh, writer, um, was a big book that impacted me um so most most of most of the books that have impacted me are not necessarily real estate books i like you and probably everyone else in this space has read robert kiyosaki's book and so certainly that that played a role although i i i view that book more as a mindset book than i do a practical book about how to yeah. um because it you know there, there wasn't i didn't really take away much in terms of go do this do this and do that and that's going to lead to success it's really more of a mindset book. And, and so that was certainly a book that impacted me favorably. Got it. How can listeners can connect with your clients? Yeah, that's easy. I, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, but the best way for listeners to get a hold of me, um, certainly I love talking about real estate. If anyone wants to set up a call or meeting with me, they can do that through my website, which is parkroyalcapital.com. Uh, you can find all the ways to connect with me on social media. You can set up a call. Um, you can see what I'm doing. Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter and you can also book a call with me. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you very much, Clyde. And thank you for sharing about your, you know, investing um, business plan for the last couple of days and also takeaways from Passive Investing. Thank you very much. Glad to be on. Thanks for having me on again. Thank you. That's the end of this episode of Multifamily AP 360, but we'd love to continue to help you on your journey. Head to ushacapital.com slash podcast to join our email list for more tips and strategies. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. This is Multifamily AP 360 with Ramakrishna Chunchu. We'll see you next time.